June 15th, 2023. We're in Masechet Beza on Daf Kaf Bet Amud Aleph. If you count from the bottom of the Amud up, it's just three lines up, two words before the end of the line. It says the Gemara, Amemar Shara Lemikhal Ena Biom Tob Sheni Shel Rosh Hashanah. The Gemara until here, for the last couple of lines, had been talking about Kihul Ena on Yom Tob, on Shabbat. Circumstance situation is that a person has either a life-threatening uh, ailment in their eyes, or less than that, it's just uncomfortable, or going to diminish their eyesight. What's the halakha in these circumstances of, well, it's Refuah on Shabbat, you're not allowed to administer, or even accept, it would appear, um, medicine on Shabbat, what is the halakha in those sorts of situations, depending upon the nature of the holy, the Gemara explained for us, the, uh, depending upon who's administering it, are you just accepting it? Those were the final words, misayah in Bomamash. The Gemara, now that it's talking about that, and it mentioned Amemar's behavior with regards to kihul um, in these contexts, it mentions a matter which is only in that respect connected tangentially because the Gemara is talking now about Yom Tob Sheni of Rosh Hashanah and the administering of this was by Yisrael. So it's not a non-Jew who's doing it. It's no longer a conversation about Misayah being just the uh, accessory, the person who's letting it be done to them while helping a little bit. That's not the issue. It's being done by a Jew. And it's also not a regular, so to speak, Shabbat Yom Tov situation. It's the second day. Well, what would Amemar, as a result, permit? He was, of course, more permitting. Amemar, Shara Lemikhal. Shara means to permit. He was Matir. Lemikhal Ena, to drop those, uh, that medication into the eyes. Beyom Tov Shenil Shel Rosh Hashanah. In, on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. What was his logic? What was his rationale? Well, we do know, we've discussed it on the Samud, we referenced it to Daf Kafchet, as a mahluk between Biuda and Hachamim, whether machshire ochil nefesh are permitted as well on Yom Tov. Is it only the production of the food or even the stages and processes leading up to the food that are permitted as well? That's mahluk between Biuda and Hachamim. We understood throughout this Amud that we're going to be machmir, be stringent on this matter. Even if the halakha is indeed like Rabbi Uda that is permitted, and Morin Kim, we don't just uh, operate in such a way in a simple fashion. And in turn, in this circumstance, you're not dealing with production of food, it's a case kind of like it's removed from actual food, edible stuffs going into your mouth, but it's going to enhance your happiness, your enjoyment of the holidays, that permitted or not. Well, that says if it's on the second day, even of Rosh Hashanah, it's permitted. We'll be lenient, more lenient on second day of holiday. The Hidush is even on second day of Rosh Hashanah. So to put it in a sentence, Amemar followed the opinion of Rabbi Huda, permitting even activity removed from direct um, production of food, provided that it's second day Yom Tob. And that's the statement. Second day Yom Tob, we learned about Andaf Dalit, Andaf He, Vav even a little bit. Second day of Yom Tob was once upon a time a Safik. It was once upon a time, and it, we were uncertain, was it Kiddusha Chodesh, which established the first day being the holiday, or was it a day later, was the last month, what's called the Chodesh Me'ubar, a fuller month of 30 days, or was it only 29 days? That's the Mahloket, that's the issue with regards to this matter, and in turn, we accepted two days of Yom Tov, the second one being a Safet. 
That being the case, since it's only a suffix, since it's only rabbinic in nature, there are permissibility. Says the Gemara, but wait a second, is that really so? Realize that he wasn't just permitting this on the second day of Yom Tov, he was permitting it on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. Each one of us in this room, for one reason or another, knows, we did learn it already on Dav He, on Dav Vav, Rosh Hashanah might have a different status. Says the Gemara, Amar Rava, excuse me, Amar Le Ravasheh Le Amemar Ravasheh, hearing and knowing that Amemar permitted uh, the medicine which was being dropped into the eyes on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, he says, but wait a second, Ravasheh exclaims to Amemar, Amar Rava, don't we have this following statement of Rava? We, learners of Masechet Beitza, already know this statement. We learned it at the top of Dav Vav Amud Aleph. Met biyom tov rishon yit'aseku bo amamim. Biyom tov sheni yit'aseku bo Yisrael. Va'afilu bishnei yamim tovim shel Rosh Hashanah. First and foremost, not directly relevant to us, but bears a, a repeated mention. It goes like this. If there's someone who deceased, who's deceased, who passed this away on the first day of Yom Tov, should be buried, could be buried, but al amamin, by non-Jews. Jews can't be involved in the isurim that are entailed in the burial. It can't violate the isur melachan Yom Tov in order to even perform the mitzvah of kivura of an individual from your family, from Am Yisrael. So that needs to be done by non-Jews. However, if it's Yom Tov Sheni, if the deceased, uh, if, the, if the passing takes place on the second day of Yom Tov, what's the halacha? Even Yisrael are allowed to be involved. The mitzvah of Kevura Tamet is doha, it pushes aside the Yisur Melacha Yom Tov. Va'afilu, and that applies even even on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. It means, from this initial statement, we're equating, we're saying it's the same, second day Yom Tov of Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot, and second day of Rosh Hashanah with regards to the rabbinic restriction of uh, not burying, or the rabbinic vision of, we don't think, or we know it shouldn't be buried, on the second day, both of Yom Tov and of Yom Tov of Rosh Hashanah, permitted. So far, no bearing on our issue. If anything, that supports Amema. Doesn't so far. It actually supports him so far, right? Here's the last words. Masheen ke'en ba This is not so with regards to Besa. Now, I know I told you some time ago that we're done talking about eggs. Oh, we need a little bit of a guest appearance. The name of the Masechet, after all, is Masechet Pesach. So here we saw this statement, again, already on Dafvav. But the statement goes as follows. It says, when it comes to Pesach, we'll talk about, if we, we, we'll refresh our memory on that again, this, this uh, equality of second day's Yom Tov and second day Rosh Hashanah does not apply. Uh, why not? We have a different status, a different stature for the second day Rosh Hashanah. It's what we call Kiddusha Ahat. Uh, first conceptually, and then we'll talk a little bit of the practical uh, underpinnings as we discussed it back then. At greater length, it goes like this. When it comes to two days of, of Yom Tov, the second day is a Safik Sefekah Diyomah, and we treat it as such. We say, this was first day, that is second day. You can and should distinguish between the two. And as a result, if there's a Besar, if an egg was born from the, from the chicken on the first day of Yom Tov, we say that on the second day it's going to be permitted. It kind of, if you recall, Rav and Daftale Damutbet, kind of went along the following lines. If the first day was Yom Tov, so on the day when there was the birth of this egg, you can't eat from it. There's one of several problems. The Gemara discussed what the issue is. On the second day, now, technically speaking, it's whole, it's a weekday. Of course I can eat from this egg, right? In other words, the only issue of eating from the egg 
on Yom Tov is that it's Yom Tov and there was a problem on Yom Tov. It was born on Yom Tov. It's permitted for me to eat it today on the second day. If the first day alternatively was Yom Tov, well, then today is whole. There's only one actual day of Yom Tov. And as a result, a betza shinolda bezo muteret bezo. If the egg was born on the first, it was hatched on the first day of the holiday, it's permitted under almost all circumstances to eat it on the second day. What about when it comes to Rosh Hashanah? And Abi, here's the key line to Amemar. It's not so. When it comes to Rosh Hashanah, we treat both days as what we call Kedushah Hat, a single sanctity, one holiness streams through all of them. How many days Rosh Hashanah? One day. But it feels it's kind of longer. It's a 48-hour day. Seriously? That's right. Halakhically speaking, if you put on your holiness lenses, that's what it is. It's a 48-hour day. It's not two days. It's Kedushah Ahat. Why would we do that? You might recall the mechanics, it went like this, that very briefly they would, they stopped accepting witnesses, remember, because the Levim would sing the wrong shir in the Mikdash with regards to Hakravav Tamit Ben Ha'abayim, and in turn the rabbi said, don't accept witnesses, but don't accept witnesses, but continue to accept, accept the rest of that first day as Rosh Hashanah, don't abandon it, and accept the next day as Rosh Hashanah, that's what we call Kedushah Ahat. In turn, says the Gemara, or better yet, says Rav Asheta Amemar, he says, Amemar, I don't understand how you said what you said. How was it that you permitted someone to do kihul ha'ayin, someone to fix their eyes in this medicinal way, on the second day of Rosh Hashanah? Rosh Hashanah is Kedushah Ahat. As we spent some time developing in the early stages of this Masechet, Answers, uh, answers Amemar. Amar le, he responds to Ravashe. Ana means I, Ani, ken nehardee sevira le. I follow the opinion of Nehardea, the rabbis, the community, the authorities in Nehardea, which was one of the uh, dwelling places and academies in Bavel. We learned about this also on Davav. Damre, their opinion is, af babetza. Their opinion is, even with regards to Besa, Second day Rosh Hashanah is Shete Kedushot. It's not Kedushah Hat. What was their rationale? What would your reasoning be? What would your mindset be to distinguish and to say that Rosh Hashanah is different than a regular Yom HaTov? The whole issue was that the witnesses might show up after the Minhat time period in the Mikdash. Under such circumstances, the rabbis wouldn't accept those witnesses. You'd accept the first day as Kodesh, and the second day as Kodesh, it means it would be a messy situation. Oh, we have a tradition on this matter. How many times do you think in the last several hundred, if not thousand years, we've found a situation where Elul, that's the month preceding Rosh Hashanah, was actually what we call a Chodesh Me'ubah, the extra day, the full day. We have a tradition. We have a tradition from the days of Ezran onward, as we paid attention, as we were careful with regards to recording the first day of each month, Tishrei never fell out after the full month of Elul, the first full 30 days. As a result, there was never and is never a safik when it comes to Rosh Hashanah. Ironically, Rosh Hashanah then is, according to Nahar Da'eh, less hamur than the other holidays because we're on almost 100% certain that it's only a one day. We talked about it at the time. What does that mean practically? How do you fulfill that? Abenu Ephraim and the Baal HaMa'or, etc. But for our purposes, that's the response of Amemar. Amemar was lenient on this matter, even with regards to the second day Yom Tov of Rosh Hashanah. Okay, let's conclude the Gemara over here, which was, as you... 
No, that's what I'm saying. No, there, but there is a debate. There is a debate. If you recall, Baal Hamar Ben Ephraim, we assume he was still keeping two days. We, that's that's the assumption. Even though there's a small debate, not about him per se, but perhaps those living in Eretz Israel. Okay. Anyway, says the Gemara onward. If you recall, our Mishnah had the three behaviors and acceptances of the household of Rabban Gamliel. Rabban Gamliel, even though an adherent, a descendant of Beit Hillel, on three matters. He was posek lehumra. He was stringent in his behavior and his acceptance of halacha, like Beit Shammai. The third of these three is what we're up to right now. En ofin pitin girisin elarekikin. If you recall, pitin girisin refers to some sort of thicker bread. It appears to be, and rekikin are more uh, cracker-like, uh, thinner. What would the reasoning be that he wouldn't do the thicker and only the thinner? It's an inappropriate, unnecessary um, uh, stress and uh, physical stress putting into the production of this food. If you can eat that food, no allowance to make the thicker, harder to produce food. Says the Gemara, we have a beraita. Apparently not. I don't know what to tell you. I'm not a baker, but Charlie, I'll let you and Rabban Gamliel duke it out on this one. I'll put the two of you in the uh, bakery together. Tanur Rabbanan is a beraita, bet shamay omrin, en ofin pat avav pesach u matirin. There's a mahlok between bet shamay and bet which takes place, the beraita tells us, in the laws of pesach. That might be very telling. We'll have to hang on and understand it's not very telling. But at this point, it certainly seems to be very telling. We're talking about laws of Pesach. Of course, if we're talking about laws of Pesach, we're talking about laws of Hametz. And the Beraita then teaches us that Beit Shammai's state, in Ofin Pat Avaba Pesach, you're not allowed to produce, even though it's not Hametz, but a thicker bread on Pesach, Betilel Matirin. What would the fear be? Of course, the fear is Shemei The fear is that if you're making a thicker bread, it's more prone to rise and to become hamet. Of course, we'll have to quantify what's pat'ava, but Rashi, but Pesach, two lines from the top, kasakada'atech. Rashi tells us already those words, kasakada'atech. Salik means to go up. It comes into our mind at this point, the issue over here is you won't be able to protect and be careful about the process that this thick bread that you're making, say Beit Shammai, won't become hamit. It's a restriction, it's a rabbinic restriction. No thick bread or thick masa, again defined accordingly, on Pesach. Vikama patava. What is thick bread? So the Baraita quantifies it for us. Mahlok Beit Shammai and Beit Hilel. Beit Shammai, who prohibits patava, will define that for us. Quantify it. Amarafuna tefah. The answer of Rav Huna is it's the thickness of, get this, a tefah. Yes, Charles. Tirha. Uh, extraneous activity. It could be. It's hard. As, as you might know, um, to quantify, even Charlie's, Charlie's disputing this one, to quantify and to define what's tirhayetera. If we have precedence from Mishnah, from Gemara, we accept it. Generally speaking, though, we don't say, well, this is, uh, as my wife would say, a pachka. It's harder to make. That's a, I've watched my wife with Syrians more than once, and she said, is it a pachka? And they looked at it. It's Ashkenaz word. It's a Yiddish word. It means it's hard to make. No, you don't say that's tirhayetera. If the Gemara gives it as... So uh, on this one, it's... I don't, you know, yes, we could and maybe should apply it to other cases if we can directly parallel them. Uh, with food, it's, it's hard to define in that respect. Yeah? It 
I thought you were going back to Pachka. Yeah. It says Vapesach. That's why Rashi. You shouldn't be able to make it either. No, why? No, no, no. If it turned into Hametz before Pesach, you throw it in the garbage. You destroy it before Pesach. On Pesach, if you're not careful, it's a whole, it's a karet on the spot. There's no fixing it. Before Pesach, you work in a matzah factory, there's going to be some Hametz, maybe. You throw it out. If it's on Pesach, oh, there's the restriction. There's the Gizir Hamid that's what it sounds like right now from this Beraita. It sounds like from this Beraita, we're only talking about Hametz. That's why Rashi says, the Kasalka Da'atech. The Beraita explicitly said Pesach. What's that? Tefach is the size of a fist. It's very big. Very, very big. It's about uh, 20 times the size of the standard Hametz today, at least. I mean, it's, that's very big. Uh, what is the, why, why a Tefach? Where did we come up with that? So the Gemara says, Shikin Matzinu Belecham Hapanim. We found so by the 12 loaves of bread which were left in the Mishkan later in the Mikdash. Who said, and who said we parallel this? Rashi, Shekel Matino, Belecham Hapanim. Shehu Masa, Kedamilam, Bikola Menachot, Baot Masa. Right, the Mishnah, the Gemara, Masech Menachot explained to us that all the Menachot, all the bread which was produced in the Mishkan, in the Mikdash, was Masa. It didn't have the status of lechem, even though we call it lechem lapanim, and had the status of matzah. That's interesting, it's important. Ve'ovyo tefah, and the width of that lechem masah, right, was a tefah, was the size of a fist. Who said? Kishmo, as its name suggests, lechem hapanim. It was the face bread. Yesh lo panim, ve'en panim pechutim mitefah. He's citing from Gemara, Masechet Sukandaf He, that a face... Who can imagine a face that's less than the minimal size of a, of a fist? I mean, we can't really imagine a face even, uh, small, even larger than that. I mean, faces are larger than one fist. But at the very least, I guess a very, very small baby would be, you know, a fist size. Or at the very least, it's a minimal measurement, but we won't go smaller than that. It's a something. But the point, ultimately speaking, even though that's uh, interesting, that that's how they derive the shi'ur, the measurement for the lechma panim, is that the lechma panim, again, the loaves of bread, which are known as matzah, halachically speaking, which were left in the mishkan, their size was a tefach, and as a result, the definition of lechma avah is a tefach, and therefore, getting back to the machlok, that's what they dispute. If you're making bread, which is defined as matzah, and it's the size of a tefah, Bet Shammai say, not on the holiday of Pesach. Why not? Our understanding is, Shemei Yahmit, it might come to Hamet. Bet Hilel say, no, we're not nervous of such a thing. Uh, that's the Gemara, that's the Beraita we had until now. Has very little, uh, aside from the words of making bread, very little to do with our Mishnah, it appears. Uh, this is talking about Hamet. Our Mishnah is talking about the laws on Yom Tov, making bread, Matkifla Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef now has a, a slew of questions with regards to um, uh, equating or thinking to say that it's similar the way they made the bread in the Mishkan to the way we can make it on Pesach. Again, according to Beit Hillel, Beit Hillel says, oh, you see in the Mishkan it was called Matzah. We had no fear in the Mishkan to make thick bread. Oh, why should you have a fear in your home to make thick bread? Whereas Beit Shammai restricted us. Oh, no, no, in the Mishkan maybe they did that. We don't do that in our homes. Well, why not? I mean, how do you build these restrictions? That's what Rav Yosef now is going to come, and he's effectively asking a question on Beit Hillel. Beit Hillel, how do you equate it? You really think that the Mishkan is the same as your mind home? You might say yes, but I have many reasons to say not that way. First and foremost, Matkith la Rav Yosef imamru b'zirizin, yomru b'sheinam zirizin. 
First and foremost, if in the Mishkan, Rashi quotes from the Gemara and Yoma, Shel Bet Garmu, there was the household, the family known as Bet Garmu. They were zirizim, they had an alacrity, they were quick and swift in their production of bread. That was their job in the Mishkan. Are you dealing with professional bakers, Mishkan bakers, Kohanim? Are they? You knew it wasn't going to turn into Hamid. And even there, you had to be on top of them. Yomru b'she'enan zirizim, they're going to say it about me and my wife. We're wonderful people, I hope. Uh, but we're not. That's not our profession. That's not what we have in our mind. Our mindset as we enter into our homes to make some bread is not like the Kohanim and the Mishkan, which at all times they were zirizim and careful to not make hamed and to keep it exactly at the most, the tefah, and it didn't become... Uh, you can't compare the two. Furthermore, imamru bepat amela, yomeru bepat amela. If in the Mishkan they permitted and God told us make pat ava, make bread, which is up to the size of a tefah, it's because, do you know about the production of the flour that they used in the Mishkan? It was known as, over there, pat amela, literally, the working bread. It's a reference, explains Rashi, to the flour. The flour was very refined. As a result, Rashi uses the word braai. I don't know, is that braai? It's not what we use the word braai for any longer. Matzah braai, that's not what it is. I'm, maybe it's because it's crushed. You've never heard of braai? It's Yiddish. Look at that. Two Yiddish words in one class. Anyway, so Rashi. So do I. Listen, Feldman. Uh, no hidush over there. But anyway. Rashi, the reason, the reason, um, the reason Morris is mentioned is because Rashi on this word amelin, he says the word bri. That's that's, what, that's why Morris said that. Uh, maybe maybe bri. I don't know. Maybe bri means crushed. And as a result, this flour was crushed so much. Rashi brings you through the process, quoting from the Gemara elsewhere in Menachot of how they used to really use a very refined, I guess, bri. Um, flour. All right, gentlemen, I'm going to let everyone work on this one and you'll all get back to me, speak to linguists and, you know, um, but it, ultimately speaking, says the Gemara, you can't equate, you can't say it's similar because over there they use refined flour and as a result it was less susceptible to unexpected rising of the dough. You knew what to expect, you could contain it, there were no clumps, it wasn't this type of thing. And yours and my home maybe, or at the very least once upon a time, where the flour was more susceptible to rising. You can't compare the Mishkan production to ours. Furthermore, do you know the, the wood they used to cut and use in the Mishkan? Rashid quotes from the Gemara elsewhere. They used to stop cutting wood for the Mishkan from Tu Be'av. Why Tu Be'av? It's the summer. At that point, uh, they had a specific time period where they would cut from and until, because from Tu Be'av and onward, the understanding was the air and the weather was moister. And the wood, in turn, was a little bit wetter, and you'd have worms in it. It wouldn't be what you wanted to be using as much. As a result, in the Mishkan, you knew what to expect. You were using drier wood in your oven. In mine, in your homes, once upon a time, we used whatever wood we had. We didn't have uh, the mehuda. The moist wood makes it, my understanding of it, more unpredictable with regards to how it's going to cook and bake, right? In other words, if I know it's dry and I know the exact status of it and I know the flour, I have everything worked out. In mine, your home, might be a minute or two off, but it's a minute or two off. We can't predict it as well because... Betilel permits this all. All of these questions of Rav Yosef are on Betilel, exactly. If, Measurement and not use the, you know, kibitza, uh, kazai, 
the, in the Mishkan, the Derashara she quoted from Sukkah is that the Pasuk says it was lechem hapanim, it was face bread. And the Derasha is, why? why is the Torah called face bread? You and I could come up with any interpretation we like. The rabbis say it's because a face, so to speak, has a size. It's at the very least, Jared says, a baby's face is at the very least a fist size. Whatever, the point is it's not small enough. It's not an olive and it's not, a, not an egg. It's, it's, a, it's a fist, which is one of our bigger small measurements. And as a, that's what where we can... Do do with tihah? Right. How does he make something that... This bit I taught... Our Mishnah is Rabban Gamliel Alibad Bet Shammai. Keep in mind, Rabban Gamliel is going with Bet Shammai. We'll have to figure out how Bet Hillel responds to that. There's no question. But as, as it stands from our Mishnah, we know Bet Hillel doesn't think there's a problem of Tirhat. It's only Rabban Gamliel. Uh, we'll have to figure out in our Gemara maybe how that will play out. But at this point, we're on a different page. Right now we're talking about Hamid. So says, the, says Rav, Una, Rav Yosef further. I have another question. Imamru betanur ham, yomeru betanur sonen. He says, if you're going to tell me in the Mishkan, in the Mikdash, they had a constantly heated a temperature set Mishkan. It wasn't electric, but they constantly had it running throughout the day to make the menachot, to make any korban, any production of bread that was necessary. It wasn't a once a week item, it wasn't a twice a day, it was constant. You knew the heat of the oven. It contained its heat in a way that was predictable. Mine and your oven, especially without electric uh, thermometers and things of that sort, it's more unpredictable. You can't tell me that we could say, well, if they made it up to a tefah and didn't have a fear of hamet, so too we should. Lastly, mamru betanur shel matechet, yomeru betanur shel cheres. Or question mark at the end. Says Rav Yosef, lastly, the tanur, the oven with which they produced in homes in that era, was made out of cheres. Cheres means clay, means earthenware. It's a little bit less predictable than metal. How do you know that the oven in the Mishkan, in contrast to in the homes at that time period, was made out of metal? Rashi explains, Rashi explains that there were two types of bread which were made in the Mishkan and the Mikdash, which attained and achieved a certain kiddushah. What were those two breads? It was the bread of lechem hapanim, the bread, the bread, the breads that were left on that tray throughout the week, the twelve loaves of bread, and additionally the shteha lechem of shavuot of alteret. We've talked about that in our masechet already. The two loaves of bread which were sacrificed as part of the kivasim, the sacrifice on shavuot. Those loaves of bread slash matzah they achieved their status of sanctity of kedushah through the baking. How does that work? It means that you need to be using an item, you need to be using a mechanism which is susceptible to holiness. Lots of details over here. What are items that are known as kelisharet, items that can bring kedushah and achieve kedushah in the mikdash? Only kelimatechet, only metal items. So it goes, so let's do it backwards. Metal items create sanctity. In the mikdash, the oven would create sanctity on some of the loaves of bread. It means in the mikdash we can then derive, we can understand, even though the Torah doesn't say it explicitly, that the tanur was made out of metal. What does it have to do with us? Rav Yosef says, if you have a metal oven, you can predict the heat. If you have a clay oven, less predictable. Question? Why do you smell? Metal is what's defined as kelisharet in this context, which means to say it's an item which if you put something into it and you use it, makes it holy. Only metal, not clay. So that's, uh, those are the questions of Rav Yosef. In other words, Rav Yosef disputes the whole no- notion. 
How could it be that Betilil, when they talk about Pata'ava, keep in mind, our Beraita never explicitly said that Pata'ava is up to the size of a Tefah. That was Rav Huna defining Betilil. We were excited, oh, that's what Betilil meant. Rav Yosef is really fighting, not so much as I said it to you, Abi, with Betilil. He's, he's fighting with Rav Huna. He says, I think you misunderstood Betilil. It can't be that Betilil meant this. You can't equate, you can't compare the bread and the matzah, which was made in the Mishkan, to that which is in our homes. It says the Gemara, Amar Rav Yirmiya Aba Sha'elit et Rabbi Biyehud. So the, the Gemara now reports Rav Yirmiya Baraba says, I asked Rabbi, we'll define Rabbi in a second, Biyehud. Rashi, on about 10 lines apart one from the other, first says Biyehud means Beni Lebeno, when we were Biyehud, when it was just the two of us, I asked my rabbi. Alternatively, Rashi, a few lines later, says Biyehud is Beberu. Explicitly, I defined it. Yehud really, Echad means one. So it's either it was one on one or I just asked him this. Okay, either way you explain it. Here's what he asked him. He asked him this issue. He wanted to understand what's Betilel's opinion. Why is it and what is it that Betilel permitted against Bet Shemai? First, who's Rabbi? Well, the Gemara is very always keen on figuring out who said what. Umanu, who was the rabbi of Rabbi Yirmiya Baraba? Rav. Okay, his rabbi was Rav. We know that name, Rav and Shemuel from the Gemara. Okay, so what do you ask him? My patava, pat meruba. He answered him and explained to him when the Beraita says that they permitted patava, what sounded like a thick bread. It didn't mean thick bread. It meant pat meruba. It meant a lot of bread. Uh, what do you mean a lot of bread? It meant the production of a lot of bread. We were never talking about hametz here. What were we talking about? Tirchayetera. That was the issue. And the permissibility of betilel is that you're even allowed to make a lot of bread. In the Gemara, in a few moments it'll ask, so then why'd you call it thick bread? And the answer will be that maybe they refer to it as thick bread because when you're producing a lot of loaves of bread, you look at this, oh, that's a thick so that's mountain of dough. Right, betilel, betilel permitted in such a circumstance Betilel permitted in such a circumstance making a lot of bread. Why would Betilel permit making so much bread? Well, we're going to explain first based on Rashim, we'll see it in a moment in the Gemara, that the reason is based on the Gemara on Daf Yodzaim. We had Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar on Daf Yodzaim. And that was that in order to produce best bread for you now, you want to fill up the oven. And as a result, we didn't consider Tirha Shelola Sorech. It was Tirha for Sorech Yom Tov. It was Tirha not for tomorrow. It was Tirha for right now. Why are you making 20 loaves of bread? You're only eating one because I'm putting them all over my oven. And as a result, just listen to this, to taste this piece of bread. It's just a delicious piece. That's what makes it better. Nothing to do with Pesach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 to a certain extent. So again, Ikad Amre. We didn't see their opinion. We always want Bishimon ben El Azar. It'll be an interesting point. Tosafot objects to Rashi's interpretation. We'll read it in a moment over here in our Gemara because he says, you didn't mention any of that here in the Gemara. If that's really what you're referring to, I'll bring that up. Tell us explicitly. And they are holic on that issue. It's, it's, it's not common for the Gemara to leave that sort of line out. Ikadamre, first and foremost. Because it's in order to enhance your bread, which you're eating today. For food, which is eaten today, permitted. 
a loaf will be eating today. It almost co- brings us back to the Charles point that he was asking about earlier. According to Beit Hillel, it appears when it comes to production of food, we don't have an issue of terhayetera. You're right. In our Mishnah, in our Mishnah, when we talked about pitin girisin, according to Beit Shammai, there was some sort of issue. We don't know of such an issue for Beit Hillel. Right, it says the Gemara Ikade Amre Yesh Omrim. This is a different version of just who is speaking. Amar Rav Baraba Amar Rav. Instead of this being Rabbi Yirmiyah Baraba on his own, he quoted this in the name of his rabbi, Rav. His rabbi, Rav, had the same issue. It wasn't in this version the question of Rabbi Yirmiyah Baraba to Rav. It was rather Rav, She'elit et Rav bi'ehud. He asked his rabbi. So it's either you asked your rabbi or your rabbi asked his rabbi. Umanu, and who was the rabbi of Rav? Rabbeinu HaKadosh. Who's Rabbeinu HaKadosh? His name was Rabbi Yehuda HaNasi. We attribute the, uh, the editing of the Mishnayotim. My pat ava, pat meruba. Okay, so the same version in terms of the punchline. Says the Gemara now, ve'amai karu pat ava. So then why was it known as thick bread? If ultimately speaking, we're talking about an, a, a, a large amount of bread. Mishum denifisha. Belisha, nafish, uh, means to be spread out, means to be a lot. Uh, kind of like when you breathe, you breathe out. Shabbat nafash. That's a nefesh, means something that's spread out, nafish. Nefisha, belisha, means there was a lot of kneading necessary with a K-N um, uh, in this circumstance. And as a result, uh, you have to imagine, it's a big pile of dough to begin with. That's why we called it thick. Iname, alternatively, a different explanation. Be'atre de haitana. Pat miruba, pat ava karule. Alternatively, atre dibatra haden dibcholatar veatar. Atre means place. Atar means a place. Atre means the place of him, the place of the author of this beraita. Uh, uh, they refer to pat miruba as pat ava. It's just the way they used to talk. So don't get thrown off by the words. Tosafot in the top right-hand corner disagrees with Rashi. Quickly in the Tosafot, top right-hand corner. Again, Rashi's reading of our Gemara is ultimately speaking the Mahluk Bet Shemayim Bet is over the issue of are you allowed to fill up an oven with many loaves of bread, Bishimon ben Elazar, in order to bring the best loaf of bread for yourself. The other loaves you're not going to be eating on the holiday. Bishimon ben Elazar permitted. Over here, that's the Mahlok Bet Shemayim Bet Tosafot. Piresh Rashi Bet Matirin Mishum Damar Bishimon ben Elazar. Again, this is the Gemara Daf Yodzain Memalea Ishatanur Pat Vechule. Okay, so he quoted from Rashi. Questions this approach, Tosafot. Velanihira. It's not clear. It's not lit up. We don't understand Rashi's approach. Number one, Hada. Number one is our question on him. Dim ken ituye. It should have been in the Gemara explicitly referenced. You're telling me the debate, the dispute of Beti Leon Bet Shamai is about Bishimon ben Azar's opinion. I don't see that on the page. I need to look in Rashi. Uh, why wouldn't the Gemara reference that? Why wouldn't they make that clear? Ve'ot. Furthermore, the Lord Mekelal Pitim Girisin says the Gemara uh, says says uh, Tosafot. Uh, what does it have to do with our Mishnah? Well, this is really the Jared question, I think. Our Mishnah was talking about making thick bread. It had nothing to do with filling the oven with a lot of loaves of bread. Rashi, you ended up confusing us. We, forget, we lost track of what we were talking about. Our Mishnah was talking about thick bread. Now you're telling me it doesn't mean thick bread. It means filling up a lot of loaves of bread. What did it have to do with our Mishnah? Is it just coincidental? Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel have the same dispute. Comes up on the same page in the Gemara. It has nothing to do with it. Ulemai Aitinhu. Why was this brought here? 
It has nothing, according to Nashi's interpretation, to do with our Mishnah. Our Mishnah is internally, to use those sorts of words, on the loaf of bread. Charlie, apparently it's harder to produce. Whereas the explanation of the Gemara, according to Rashi, as Alan told me, it answered your question, but it didn't really, because the Mishnah is still talking about production of the bread. How do you explain it this way? Says Tosafot, it would appear, Suggest Tosafot, it goes like this. The Mahlok Bet Shamayim Bet is about a Gezera. It's a restriction. The Gemara is articulating it, but it really started in our Mishnah. Since, as Charlie told us at the beginning, it's easier to make thicker bread, the following fear arose. I will, as a result of its ease, just make lots of bread. It's easy. I'll prepare for tomorrow and for down the week. If it's, for, if it's harder to make, I'll make exactly as I need. It's easy. I'll just throw in a lot. That's the mahlok bet shemayim betile. When the Gemara says pat meruba, it's directly related to our Mishnah. What was our Mishnah talking about? The thicker bread. Thicker bread, which is easier pr- to produce, raises the suspicion in the eyes of the rabbis that you and I will, as a result, be toreah in a way that's unnecessary. We'll produce too much bread. Say bet shemayim. Cut it over there. Says Betty Lil. No, we don't think like that. It's easier to make. You're still going to make it. Like the legion. I put a lot of bread in the oven. My bread is better. Okay. Okay. Everybody, you're asking. That's a great question. Jared will conclude with this question. Jared says what emerges then from Tosafot, it appears to be, is our Gemara is assuming not like Rabbi Shimon ben El-Azhar, which is surprising at best to us at this point.